Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Yeah, you guys, we're going to do something really exciting this morning. Uh, If you don't know who that beautiful scripture reader was, that woman is Sam Smith, and she is the operations manager of Long Beach Christian Fellowship. And remember when I'll say to you many times as the family pastor that I own you all, well, actually, as the operations manager, she does it all. So just wanted to put her in perspective for you a little bit. And we're going to like, we're going to teach together this morning, which is going to be really, really fun. I'm going to pick up reading the scripture where Sam left off. She's going to hop off for a nanosecond. Then she's going to back come back and on and talk to us a little bit. So I'm going to start with Diotrephes and Demetrius. In verse 9, I have a different version, so I'm going to just close my little version and read what's on the screen. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he's making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children. And those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him. And you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends here. And that is the end of Third John, that crazy letter. Um, so... A couple things that I want to say about that is this letter is actually the shortest letter in the Bible if you were to read it in the original Greek. And there's a lot of support among Bible commentators that even though we see it as 3rd John, it was probably the first of the three letters that John the Elder actually wrote. Uh, And that makes a lot of sense to me because John was, you know, the beloved disciple of Jesus. And uh, he begins in this letter by writing to a specific person, Gaius, and warning about another leader who is not following um, the Christian way. And then nothing's really happening with those non-followers. So he writes Second John, and this time, rather than writing to one house church leader, he writes to a group of them, And even then, there's still mischief happening in the churches. And so he writes the first John to not only a group of leaders, but it's meant to be read to all the churches in the area of Ephesus. This is the way Jesus asks each of us to deal with conflict. Initially, we go to the person 
and we try to work it out with them. But if there is no resolve, we can, especially if we're part of a church family, go talk to the elders, um, and maybe the elders will help us in the conversation. And sometimes, if, again, nothing can be solved here, we include an entire community. The problem was that the truth, the problem in Ephesus, and the problem in the church today, and the problem always in the entire history of the church, is that the truth is either being added to or taken away. And the truth that John is talking about here is Jesus Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Messiah. He, he lived. He suffered. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. That is the truth that John is defending. It's the truth we're called to defend. So he set out to write this series of letters to rectify the syncretism, adding to, and the deleting. Jesus is not Messiah. There are many gods. So right now, Sam is going to tell us lots of things. <laughs> Thank you, Barb. Um, yeah, I, I find this letter is really interesting because it's not really about a church that has disagreements about theological understanding, practices, you know, worship style, teaching style. Um, it's a church that's in disagreement about loving those God has given them to love namely the stranger, even fellow children of God. Um, so what John the Elder is addressing is the leadership flaws of one of the church leaders, Diotrephes. Um, but it, it does appear to be more widespread in the church, and people are following his example, which we just heard uh, about copy catechists. It's really easy to do that. So um, I'll be honest, I was reading this story with my spiritual director hat on, so I, I found myself really having compassion for Diotrephes. Um, when I was reading about how he was acting towards people, it, it reminded me of this phrase, um, where is the poop? Uh, in the show, I don't know if you've seen this, but in the show, How I Met Your Mother, um, one of the characters, Lily Aldrin, she questions her friend, Robin, um, when she starts to share this kind of surface truth about how she's doing with the breakup. But Lily, as her friend, can tell that something stinks about her story. So she asks, where's the poop, Robin? Um, so that reminded me of this, too. On the surface, Diotrephes seems like he's just being a jerk or he's evil. Um, but it seems like there's something deeper at play. So where's the poop? Um, this is a leader of a church community that is doing well. So there must be something up for him that is leading to his actions. And if I could guess, I would say the poop is probably fear. Fear of losing power, safety, yeah. control, maybe fear of not being enough. But what is definitely missing here is love. The kind of you know divine love that fills your core and gives you everything that you need. Um, this is the love, the truth that we're talking about, the love that Christ gave when he died on the cross, defeated death by rising again and ascended into heaven. This is the truth John the Elder was talking about. But Diotrephes' leadership and his faith, it doesn't seem to be based in truth. It's based in lies that he in and of himself can be enough. That he doesn't need others. 
and he doesn't need Jesus. So when have we put ourselves first like diatrophies? And when have we turned others away out of fear or turned away from others? It may not always be as obvious as copycatechus, you know, knocking people over or diatrophies where he's kicking people out of the church or turning away from the stranger. But I know for me in my own life, um, I have not always lived out of the hospitality of Jesus, of that love that prefers the other, that creates space in safety for another person. And I know that when I've acted that way, it's from a fear of losing my own security, my own comfort, um, feeling like maybe I don't know who I am or I'm not as good as I think that I am. And so when we act out of our own strength, our own fortitude, we always fall short. So when we accept that God loved us first and we can't do anything apart from that love, then that's when we can truly embody this truth, the hospitality of Jesus. We can really welcome in the stranger and we can really be third way. We can really be the church. I think the point here isn't simply that we are both, you know, diatrophies and we can both be Gaius at times. Um, I think that is true. I think we have the capacity to be both. Um, but what I think John the Elder is getting at here is that without God's love, we can easily miss the point of being Jesus' followers. Without the truth of the gospel, that's love, we can be evil and selfish too. When we turn towards one another, when we see one another, when we sit with one another's stories, we are turning towards God. And when we turn away from one another, we actually are turning away from God. In other words, when we are really loving our neighbor, we are loving God back who first loved us. Now, Diotrephes, he's, he's living in this lie of moralism. Um, it's that, that piece that Barb was talking about where we add things to the truth the rules and the laws. He was living in this lie where he believed he had to earn his way to God. And moralism often tells us that we shouldn't trust the stranger. We, we can't trust the other because they might corrupt us. They might make us feel uncomfortable. They might take something away from us. But love always says that we have all that we need in God. Amen. So there's plenty of room for the other person. We're not missing anything. Moralism is based in fear and hospitality is based in love. Moralism is based in independence, you know, take care of me and my own. And love is actually based in interdependence. We need one another and we need God. We read in John 15, four, that we're called to abide in that love. So when we abide in the truth that Jesus Christ is love, we produce the fruit of hospitality. It comes out of us, just like the church was doing, like Gaius was doing. But when we write our own truth out of fear, like diatrophies, we actually produce death. So what does it look like to abide in Christ's love practically? What does it look like to live a hospitable life? I'm just going to throw out a couple things and then Barb's going to take it back. 
But I, I think it looks like setting aside time to be with God every day in prayer. He is love. So abiding and spending time intentionally in that love will only produce good fruit. I think it's praying for others' needs. You know, we often use prayer as a way to vent or to, to get what we need, which is good. God invites us to do that. But I think when we pray for others, we step out of ourselves. Yes. I think it's also reaching out to that person that thinks, looks, acts differently than you to really hear their story with no agenda other than to just love them. Um, I think it's financially supporting others. I think our resources, um, like we say in our household, the Lord's chips, This, our finances, our resources are God's. And um, we can love him by supporting others financially. And lastly, I think it's living with this mindset, with this knowledge that you are a part of God's kingdom family. You're not in your own little bubble. And so what what you do and how you love others affects God's family. So I'm going to send it back to Barb for some closing thoughts. Mm. Want to say anything else? Amen and amen, Sam. Thank you. That was that was rich. Um, yeah, hospitality. That's very, very interesting. And I so agree that we can really play all of these roles. I actually want to read to you guys from a book. It's an oldie. It's called Be Alert, Warren Wearsby. He's a commentator, and he once pastored Moody Bible Church in Chicago. But he specifically here talks about um, someone that is like Diotrephes and where we can be like him so much of the time. He says uh, that people like him can be dangerous, but fortunately they are easy to recognize because they like to talk about themselves and what they have done for the Lord. They also have the habit of judging and condemning those who disagree with them. They're experts in putting labels on other Christians and classifying them into neat little categories of their own intention. They base their fellowship on personalities, not the doctrines that are fundamental to the faith. The tragedy is that these dictators, um, and that's what he calls this man, actually believe that they are serving God and glorifying Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that it has been my experience, this is Warren Wiersbe's words here, it has been my experience that most of the distress and division in local churches and between churches has resulted from personalities more than anything else. If only we would return to the New Testament principle of making the person and work of Jesus Christ our test for fellowship rather than associations and interpretations of non-essential doctrines. But people like Diotrephes will always have their enthusiastic followers because Many sincere people, many sincere Christians are immature and untaught, and they prefer to follow men and women who want to take them down another path, the path that is not the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Even though, let's go, I'm going to move back, right back into hospitality here, guys, just a little non sequitur. Even though in 3 John it appears that hospitality is intended for other Christians that are traveling, both the Old and the New Testaments clearly support being hospitable to the stranger 
the alien, the other, <laughs> exactly the way Sam said. Uh, and I'm pondering why we are afraid of the other. And fear, I think, really, really, that also hits the nail on the head. Um, we do so many things out of fear. Uh, last night at the Women's Evolving Faith event, um, one of the speakers on screen was a woman by the name of Amy Jill Levine. And she's a teacher of New Testament, but she's a Jewish woman. And she talked about the parable of the Samaritan, that the priest and the Levite passed by the man who had been robbed and was now lying bleeding on the side of the road. Why did they pass by? Perhaps they were afraid of what might happen to them. But the Samaritan saw the man and he started to be afraid of what might happen to the wounded man. He preferred the other more highly than he preferred himself. Um, I'm going to tell you a little personal story because in a land of a long ago and far, far away. You know, I was born in Germany. Um, I lived in a little town. Uh, I'm a refugee, an immigrant to the United States. Um, my family was displaced people and we actually, they actually built apartment houses for people like us. And they put us, it was a little walled city that I lived in and they put us, they put us outside of the wall. We could not live in the city with the, the other people. We lived outside and there was a German displaced building and there was a Polish displaced building and a Czech, I think, displaced building. I know, I, I know I've told this before. Um, my mother also had two children out of wedlock, me being one of them. So not only were we displaced, but we were, we were bad. We, we were shunned by the people in that town. I can remember walking with my grandmother into the town where all the little stores were. And we shopped, you know, as often as we had the money to shop. And it, we would walk into a store and people would like talk. They would stop talking first. Then they would do this. And they'd look at us and they'd look at the person they were with and they would talk about us. And as a small child, I felt that I knew I was wrong. I knew I was the other. I knew I was bad. And uh, then we came, we came to America um, only through a lottery system. Um, I, I want to go back to Germany because we lived next door to a little Lutheran church. And I'm remembering that we rarely attended, except for those events where we needed to attend, like the Christmas service. But the reason we rarely attended was because the people, um, they didn't really want us there because of who my mother was. Um, there was one, one of the pastors was kind to us. Um, and then it was actually the Lutheran church that also paid our passage to come to America. But I never saw love or Jesus in the eyes of the church when I was a little girl. My first time seeing eyes of love was uh, when I was an adult. And I've told that story before. But I remember being other. And it's an interesting thing about being other is it doesn't leave you very easily. Because I can still find myself being feeling othered, even though... I don't look like the other, and I don't speak like the other anymore. I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures just uh, to prove my point that we are called to be hospitable mm -hmm. to all the others, all the aliens, all the strangers. 
that we find ourselves near. Exodus 23.9, I'm using the voice version here, says this, do not depress an outsider. Do not oppress an outsider. You know well what it is like to be an outsider living in a foreign land, for you were strangers once in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19 says something similar. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Job, and this is the New Living Translation, in Job chapter 31, verse 32, it says, this is, this is Job pleading his case. I've never turned away a stranger, but have opened my doors to everyone. There's a lot in Isaiah. Chapters 57 and 58 immediately come to mind. And then I'm going to hop to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So hospitality, this, this sense of, um, yeah, of allowing the stranger in. It's a theme. It's a theme throughout the entire Bible. Jesus said it. He talked about it. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but whatever you do for the least, for the other, for the stranger, for the alien, you're doing it as unto me. And we're the ones who other others anyway, um, by not wanting to hear a story, by already having something made up, by creating our own story, rather than being willing to hear and listen exactly the way Sam just told us so beautifully. So how are we supposed to be hospitable in the era of COVID? <laughs> We've actually been talking about it in little bits and pieces in the teachings that you guys you know, have been listening to. We could make an actual phone call. We can actually call someone. Okay, what that means is that we don't have to like look good like we might have to if we think we're gonna go on Zoom or even Google Hangout, you know? We can make a phone call and have a real conversation with someone. We can write an actual card and mail it. We can bake cookies. <laughs> And before we eat them all, we can leave them on someone's porch or we can leave them at a rescue shelter. We can mow our own lawn because that's loving the other <laughs> if our house looks neat and taken care of. Uh, and there's so many other things that we can do. Um, I always say I'm not creative, but I am creative. And I just want to speak that over each of us. We are creative people. We are good at adapting. So, yeah, we can post loving and encouraging notes to people on their Facebooks and their Instagrams. Hospitality. It is, um, it is the tangible revelation of the love that shows others that we are Christians. And then let's conclude this by talking about money again. Um, neither Jesus nor scripture shies away from it, you guys. 
support such people. So we give. We give to church communities. We give to traveling missionaries. We give into homeless shelters. We give uh, to um, nonprofits where we believe in the work that they're doing. Um, John, in these short five verses, 15, not five, asks the house church leader for financial support for the Christians coming through town. This is another principle of Christian life that we support one another. So many times, I know I'm redundant here, but so many times when I pray, the Holy Spirit will say, everything you need, you already have. Mm -hmm. And that includes financially, you guys. We support one another. We support our church communities. We give gladly for the sake of love. We give sacrificially for the sake of Christ Jesus who loved us first. We practice hospitality, especially to the other. Um, I want to ask you, Sam, if you have anything that you want to add or anything that's come up for you that you wish you'd said, because... <laughs> last words. Last words. I like last words. Yeah. Um, no, I think the only thing that has been resting on my heart um, in studying this letter is that yeah, hospitality isn't just meant for um, the people that are easy. I think the people yeah. that um, feel comfortable to welcome into our home and open doors, it's not as simple as that. I think hospitality looks like pursuing people, like you said, Barb, reaching out, going outside of yourself to love someone. Um, and oftentimes it's hard when it's people that we don't have the same life experience with. We don't understand where they're coming from. We might disagree with them politically or um, yeah. logically. And th those are the people too that we're, we're also called to love and called to be hospitable to. And um, yeah, it's not as simple as just, you know, bring them food or open your doors, but it's creating space within your heart um, creating a safe space for that person to feel seen and known. Um, I think that's a spiritual exercise that that we can definitely um, lean on and practice, especially in this season yeah. of COVID, of racial distress in our country, in our city. I think there's lots of ways that we can be hospitable with the other. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I'm just thinking about whenever we are willing to lay down the barricades to our hearts. Mm -hmm. You know, all those things <laughs> that get in the way and we're willing to actually trust that God is with us mm -hmm. to do those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, it was fun to do this with you, thanks. <laughs> we are going to continue in worship with uh, singing another song with Danny. <laughs> 